The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM. As usual, lots happening in the tech world. Tech is defining everything we get up to and I try to Stay on top of it, and let me tell you, it is a full-time job. There is so much stuff going on everywhere. There's so many new technologies. There's just so much new use of technology that is going through so many phases, from startup all the way to really sort of hidden maturity. And the real, real truth, technology is like magic. Considering the stuff we get up to, the things we take totally for granted, the tasks we perform without a blink, uh, navigate the world, make calls on WhatsApp wherever you are, do whatever you do, it is truly magic. And in most ways, modern life wouldn't be modern life without all the gizmos and gadgets we play with. Look, there's a lot happening in that space. Unfortunately, South Africa is somewhat uniquely challenged of major countries or rather developed Western-style countries in having massive infrastructure challenges because gadgets without power are just useless uh, paperweights. And uh, over the years, I've got rid of a lot of paper, so there's no paper to wait. So it becomes a, a real serious challenge not being able to power up all your gadgets and get on with your technological life as you should. But despite all that, or rather in spite of all all that. There's a lot of change coming, and we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm not getting into some of the deeper subjects around load shedding or power cutting or whatever the hell you want to call it. Tough word, but that's what it is. News of the week really is that Twitter has a little bit of competition, and it's from a usual suspect. It's from Facebook stroke meter stroke uh, Instagram. Now, as you may or may not recall that Facebook renamed their main holding company, Instagram, uh, Meta, and they own Instagram, they own Facebook, they own a whole host of different platforms and products, and they've now launched in South Africa and many countries around the world, but not the EU, interestingly, a new rival to Twitter called Threads. Now, Twitter has been in the news for all crazy reasons, bought by Elon Musk, he then decided amongst all these other challenges to run it directly. He's now appointed a new CEO managing person to to the company. But in the interim, what he's done is strip it enormously of people, resources, and massive amounts of, uh, of advertisers have left the platform. And in many respects, I personally, I'm a huge fan of social media. I've been spending enormous amounts of time over the years on, on the various platforms, have found that Twitter has become really problematic. The curation has gone, I don't know where the, 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 the info has gone, but the people I used to follow I can't find. The people I wouldn't have the faintest clue who they are or would, would not like to follow suddenly popping up in my timeline. And it's become a really problematic and time-consuming hassle to curate out the stuff that I'd like to see and ignore or kill the stuff that I don't want to see. So big challenges and a lot of talk. And then this week there was a whole new story about data scraping. In fact, Google has stopped indexing 
all Twitter tweets and Twitter feeds, so you don't see Twitter coming up in any Google search, which was quite a useful thing and quite a big deal because there's a massive rate limit being imposed on Twitter by the system, something like 300 or 600 tweets unless you verified, and if you verified for which you now pay, it's a paid service, you then get some more tweets. Um, so it's just become a very complicated, messy and problematic platform, certainly losing its luster with the younger generation and, like myself, the older generation, and its relevance in as being sort of a, a short-form news feed of, of really interesting stuff that you wanted to follow seems to be fading fast. Well, never letting a crisis go to waste, Meta Facebook have launched uh, its arrival called Threads. It's available right now. If you go to the App Store, the Android Store, both on uh, iOS or Android, you can download Threads right now. And what it'll do, it, if you are already on Instagram, it will import all your Instagram followers and the people you follow. It'll import um, your username and your picture. It's pretty quick and seamless. It took me all of 30 seconds to get set up and running. And it's incredibly clean and simple. There's no advertising for now. They're desperately trying to get lots of users. Apparently, in the first hour, they signed up over 5 million. It's now somewhere in the region of 50 or 60 million, growing pretty quickly because they've got the whole infrastructure of Facebook behind them. They can do all the stuff that you need to run a platform like that. In other words, all the ability to curate and manage and to deal with all the regulatory issues around the world about sharing of data. And that's one of the reasons why um, Threads is not going to be available in the EU for now. They've made application, but the EU data laws specifically prohibit cross-platform sharing of data. And that could be a little bit of a struggle, but let's see where this all goes. It should be in Europe in the next short while, I believe. But of all the platforms that have come to rival Twitter, like Mastodon came along and a lot of people moved there, but they just didn't have the scale or the platforms to be able to to really manage such a public and such a politically hot platform such as Twitter stroke Facebook. So should be very interesting to watch this. I haven't spent a lot of time on the site yet, um, but I have found some interesting people. All the big news services have already signed up. So it's looking like a significant uh, competition to Twitter, and we'll see how Twitter responds because the advertising's down, their the subscribers are down, the engagement is down. And let me tell you, when you're selling advertising, which is ultimately where all these platforms make money and engagement, well, that's not a good sign. So let's see where it goes. If you want to do it, try it now. Pretty cool. Easy to set up if you're on Instagram a cinch. If you're not on Instagram, you want to do it clean, try to choose a new name. Early days is always the best time to choose new names of any platform, but they will reserve any name that's already on any of the other platforms. So you can't just have all those fantastic AI, uh, you know, AI Twitter handles. Those, those are gone, I'm afraid. So check it out. It's going, it's going to be something worth following. If you like social media, you like you know, ch chatting with your friends and creating and following all sorts of interesting subjects. Here's another one. Let's see where it goes. And then moving on to an interesting step in the space. A lot of chatter, a lot of chatter. We'll be, maybe talk some more about it in a few minutes. But Johannesburg has now announced with the latest raised tariffs 
uh, as of 1 July, which are not pretty at all, that they will pay you for excess solar power. So I'm not entirely sure. They haven't really spelled out how they're going to do it. But right now, if you've got a solar system and you've got excess power and you feed it back into the grid, you can get between 50 and 70 cents paid to you directly by the city of Joburg. But uh, again, uh, sorry to sound like a cynic, but generally, city of Joburg is not pretty good at paying anybody for anything. So let's see where this goes. But solar may well land up being uh, the system that finally gets South Africa out of this nonsense with uh, ESCOM. And in fact, ultimately makes uh, ESCOM pretty much irrelevant for most of our lives. If you can have a full-on solar system on your on your roof with proper battery backup, I know it's expensive, but in the context of what you're spending on power these days may make a lot of sense. Well, we'll take a quick break now for uh, our sponsors, and then I'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe as usual, and we're talking big cyber and big data and uh, what it means for you and I going forward. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back, and uh, before we get stuck into this really challenging subject of big data, try to give you some sense of how it all works and cybersecurity, key in the world where everything is connected. Now, moving on to our topic of the day, and a lot of work has been going on around big data and cybersecurity. They're two sort of words that get thrown about all the time, but the sheer scale of what is happening in the world with regard to data and how cyber threats, and they could be as simple, I mean, the amount of scamming going on currently with times being tough in South Africa, people being desperate, the return on on investment, if you want to use a good business term, for the average scammer or cybersecurity crook, because they are, they're thieves, they're criminals, they're no different to the guy who used to knock you on your head and steal the money as you drew it out of the bank or the then or got all with it out of the ATM. There is no difference between cybersecurity or cybercrime and normal crime. Crime is crime, stealing is stealing. It's just the sophistication in which it's happening has changed entirely. So email, phishing, smishing, you name it, all these terms you're going to hear. The simple fact is, is that if you have money and you are connected to the Internet, at some point you're going to receive some form of communication that's going to try to wheedle that money out of you and quietly and, um, you know, effectively remove your uh, your money from you using one or two of these platforms. So what has happened as the world has developed, as these massive, and I'm going to try to contextualize this in a way that makes a lot of sense. So as platforms and communications extended, as we have all become more and more connected, as more and more activity is happening either through online banking, through online account payment, online everything. No matter which way you go, all of this is happening more and more in a space that you have no idea. You don't walk into the store, there isn't a piece of paper, there's absolutely nothing that you can do unless you do it online. Along with that comes databases of information about you, about the company, about your activities, about your, your electricity bill. It doesn't matter what. Each one of these are databases. Your activity on social media, your activity walking down the street when cameras are following you, your 
buying, browsing activity as you look for something or just casually follow an interest like birding. It doesn't matter what you do. It's leaving a trail of data. And beyond that data, there's a lot of equipment, firewalls, routers, switches, the, the, the plumbing, the mechanics of sending information around the world to pop up on your lovely new phone, which we'll talk about a cool new phone in a little bit. But all of that is happening in the back end. All of that is connected. All of that uses databases. All of that's got data, and that data can be mined more and more with AI. We've talked AI to death, but simply using machine learning and some sort of artificial intelligence platform, so many of these things can be used for good, but unfortunately, a ton of it can be used for bad. So every single company, every single person, every single organization needs to have some form of cybersecurity, some form of platform that allows them to obviously pick up issues as they occur. But for more and more, and as the sophistication of the threat actors, as they're called, grows, so does the the platforms and processes that either pick up, preempt, or even predict these uh, massive attacks. And that's where big data comes in, because what might be an innocuous phone call coupled with a simple email linked to a small SMS, linked to a cluster of those coming from a particular phone somewhere in the world to a certain area, all of that stuff might seem like random noise in the background. And individually, each one of those activities is innocuous. Nothing can come from an SMS sent to someone, even if that person reacts simply to that SMS. But when you start joining all these dots, when all these various bits and pieces of information and the, the you know, you just said my new dog Fluffy uh, is so cute and you post a picture on Instagram, there's the name, there's the dog, there's your information. You start linking all these little goodies together. And what happens is they build a profile for you. They then understand. Then you get a physical phone call. Hello, Mr. So-and-so. They know your name. I'm calling from FNB. Oh, dear, you bank with FNB. Um, is your ID number X? Wow, they've got that information. We need to do the security call and we need you to verify yourself. Please go to this link, which I'm messaging you and click on it and just, you know, enter your details and we'll verify you. And then we'll be able to take you through the upgrade to the database. We've all heard these stories. I'm not going into the whole thing. And before you know it, they've cleaned out your bank account and the bank saying that you gave them your PIN. Now, what do I do? So it is hypercritical that you be hypercritical. You never share your pins on anything other than a typed-in URL. Never follow a link that you don't know or have never used. Don't go to websites which can look exactly the same as the official website. And in fact, you know what? Don't feel stupid. These people are way sophisticated, more than yourself and anyone else. All of us out there at some point may well fall for it. But if you're aware and you're awake, it should happen less. But in the back end, companies are using big data and big data platforms like Splunk. There's uh, products from um, Microsoft. There's Palo Alto. There's a ton of products you've never heard of. And they are all helping big companies manage this 
in a way that essentially, like in the movies, where they can almost predict when something is going to happen, where there's threat intelligence being done in the background. There used to be a ton of analysts running through data and trying to pick up trends and threads and figure out vulnerabilities within a mass of data. But where big data has gone, where it has become super sophisticated, is that we are now... Um, we're now in a place where there is tons of data. There's structured data, data that you get from your accounting system. It's predictable. You know every month, you know who you sold, what to, how much it cost, how much money you spent, who you bought things from, etc., etc. Very structured, very easy to predict, and very easy to manage from a data point of view. It's all lying about, and it can be useful. But what you can't, um, then you've got the in-between data, which is essentially semi-structured data, data that might be based on behavior. This guy bought this, these abandoned carts online. In other words, they put all the goodies onto their, their online cart and then left it, never followed through. Why? What? Those are unstructured data or semi-structured data. They're based on platforms and products and processes that exist and that know. And then there is the completely unstructured data, stuff that happens no matter what, and it's hard to predict weather, um, behavior, happenstance. You happen to be in a shop because you were waiting for someone for some reason. You thought, oh, that looks interesting. In you walk, you wander around, you do or don't buy, or you happen to walk past somewhere or do something. All of that stuff, um, or there's an earthquake in China which affected the supply chain. You know, so... Unstructured data is stuff that's happening outside of the control of your area, your knowledge, your experience, or any platform you exist. But that data and the, the activities, as I said right up front, that information that is being used to predict and to, to manage cybersecurity is critical. Now, the challenge is to link all that data and drill and figure out the correlations in real time and in many cases in predictive ways, that is where the power of big data, that is where the big data analytics platforms are, are really knocking it out the park. And what people keep not understanding, because it's not really, I certainly think a lot about it, but a lot of people don't actually realize the sheer scale of what's going on. Now, for example, and again, security is a critical element of this, but here's a perfect example. Take an MRI machine. You, you, you're, you're hurting, you've got a problem, you've had an accident, whatever. You go into the hospital, they put you in an MRI machine. It scans wherever it scans, and all that information is supplied to a database somewhere. It's optical, it's visual, there's all sorts of stuff in there, and it's then supplied to the radio, radiologist who looks at it and predicts or shows or sees or the doctors know how to treat you and what to do. What you don't realize that all these machines are from Siemens, Philips, General Electric, all those guys are linked across the world. So instead of the average doctor seeing 10,000 patients in his lifetime and maybe 100,000, um, 100,000, you know, scans a day or whatever it is and lots of training, nine times out of 10, they write. But for that extra 10%, imagine that they are now a platform, a system, which there is, a big data platform, where millions upon millions of scans can be scanned, maintained, and browsed in a couple of split seconds when someone 
breaks their leg, they have a look, very similar leg injuries, and they compare the data on that platform with all the other data that's stored around leg injuries across the world, they can pick up stuff, and the machine often recommends stuff, that potentially, and no disrespect to the doctors and professionals out there, they just they just physically could never, ever have seen this. And there have been many cases around the world with rare cancers, rare diseases that have been picked up and used in the most remarkable ways simply because of the mass of big data and the sheer scale of the samples of everything that can be done. And that is where cybersecurity is going. So ultimately, as much as you should be extremely careful about what you do and how you behave and what it is that um, you respond to either online or in your life in the usual course of things, there is an entire science of keeping this stuff at bay before it even gets to you. So the banks are on the forefront of this. They've got um, platform systems that are continuously uh, running in the background to stop and to block and to shut down any of these vulnerabilities, any of these data collection platforms. And I know I just Twitter about the, scan, the, 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 the sort of scraping that's going on. It is definitely... Uh, a negative from a, from an engagement point of view, and the, the, the response to it has been, I think, a little bit unsophisticated. But the simple fact is, the more data anybody has about any particular program, when you apply the techniques and the current massive computing power and AI platforms that are available for a fee from Amazon, from Google, from anyone, ChatGPT is the exact example of that. When you start using those platforms in ways that can create correlations and information, power is knowledge, uh, knowledge is power. And with that power comes the ability to do great good things, but also great bad things. And the experts in the cybersecurity field are absolutely, I wouldn't say winning, but they certainly are bringing a massive amount of intelligence, experience, and the ability to block, I would say, 98, 99% of these so-called engineered attacks and all the various attacks around there. But without big data and without the analytics that run in these massive data centers around the world, so much would be missed simply because, like any good scam, all these little tiny random activities that everybody gets up to, which seem to make no difference. You're dropped, um, if you want, parking ticket with all your, your registration details on, let's say, can be used against you. So the, the use of big data analytics, the way that data is organized and, and managed by big companies, having Privacy is obviously critical, and privacy we're not even getting into because cybersecurity and privacy are often at odds with each other. And a lot of people become very paranoid about giving their data to large companies or sharing information about themselves. The problem is that, again, cuts both ways. One, if you don't share, there's a lot of stuff you don't even realize you're sharing, or rather, if you don't consciously share or allow platforms and processes and people to see and know what you're up to, they can't protect you because you have given information away in, in ways that you didn't even realize you're giving. The minute you go online and browse, even in a uh, completely, um, even in a completely other way, 
uh, they'll collect that data and put it together with other data. And before you know it, they've built a really, really exceptionally good profile of you and they start predicting your behavior and that can be used either for you or against you. And the, the, all these massive big data platforms in the cybersecurity space are doing exactly the same on the other side, but at scale and at speed. And this is the biggest thing. It was all well and good a couple of years back that this data was analyzed by analysts and they could pick up trends and they could pick up information that was, you know, pretty useful, certainly on a business level, certainly on a security level. The problem is by then, Many, many people were scammed or many, many problems had occurred that should not have occurred simply because it took so long to process the data. But today, some of these platforms are taking accounting data, middle behavioral and process data, along with completely unstructured data, the weather to predict where they need ice creams, how many cans of of Coke should be on a truck for a particular area, stuff like that with Interestingly, we talked about 60-minute delivery with this camp. That couldn't be possible unless they knew how close they were and what the current best sellers were. So all of that stuff is happening through businesses understanding you and you understanding what they are doing with your data. So my suggestion in this whole space is, one, be very aware individually, but from a a large company point of view, understand that every interaction you have with every single company, both professional, business, and personal, leaves a data trail. That data will and can be used to improve any organization's service with you, improve its way it interacts with you, but it can also be used by threat hunt, threat actors. And then on the other side, you've got the threat hunters trying to fight with them in order to steal your money or scam you out of your um, hard-earned cash or hard-earned savings or investments or whatever it is. So we're going to see more of this. We're going to see uh, big data and the big data management platforms along with artificial intelligence. Again, I use that word advisory, advisory in an advisory space because there is no artificial intelligence as yet. The scale and the speed at which they work, these platforms, the the amount of data they have access to makes them seem intelligent. But for the most part, they're just churning through a ton and ton of data. And the more data we do, the more we work, the more it's going to happen. So be aware and I believe share what you need to share appropriately and you will be surprised at the benefits that can be derived both in a customer service platform way, in improving your lives, and also keeping yourself secure across all the places and platforms that you work. So more in this space, but it is getting more and more challenging, and it's certainly getting more and more exciting as we go along. And can you believe we are going to have another quick break for our sponsors? We'll be back with, I think, one of the coolest well-priced phones I've played with in a long time from Xiaomi. So we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And uh, moving away from big data, you know, I'm going to move completely differently to one of the biggest data collection mechanisms in the universe right now. And that's called the smartphone. And it's not smart just because it's smart. It's smart because lots of smart people made it so. And um, I know that sounds a little corny, but that's the absolute truth. The smartphone industry has polarized. I mean, it's been a challenging time for a lot of companies across the world. And the two big daddies in the room, the big gorillas 
that exist are obviously Apple and Samsung. And Samsung have gone down the path of Android, open source-ish, but certainly working with um, Google and its Android ecosystem and the entire Google massive platform that, that exists. And Apple, who have gone down the route of their own, they've created their own ecosystem, they've created their own full vertical integration, they're making their own chips, they're pretty much making everything that that, is, that counts within, or at least managing how it's made, the operating system, the hardware, the software, you name it, the apps that go into it. And those two huge, massive ecosystems are pretty much driving the world of mobile devices as we know it. And both those players have got a fair range. Obviously, Apple being really premium, they don't really make inexpensive Apple devices, even though often, you know, they don't need to because their devices last so long that a two, three year old Apple device or even more is still very functional, still gets the latest updates, still runs the latest programs, maybe a little slower and a little bit less snappily and the camera's not quite as sharp as the current batch, but very functional for the most part, certainly on the league of a lot of inexpensive Android devices. But Android flagship stuff is right up there with Apple in terms of power and processing and camera quality and design, sometimes even a little bit more funky. You know, Apple can be a little vanilla in its Appleness, uh, but I'm not getting into which is better, Apple or Android. They're both very cross-functional in, in the most part and can do pretty much everything the other can do, bar a couple of funnies here and there. But the growth of the business and most of the world have found that mid-range devices um, and certainly China has become one of the largest producers of those devices with all the geopolitics around uh, Huawei and they were nearly number one. They nearly knocked Samsung, I think, for a very brief period. They were number one. They nearly knocked Samsung, but with a loss of Google services, they became, for me in the West, an absolute no-brainer not buy. It just cripples them. They now have, don't have 5G, which also is a no-brainer don't buy. However, there are still a ton of Chinese companies with access to technologies and manufacturing processes out there. And one of them is Xiaomi. They've been doing really well. They've had always sort of hit the sweet spot of great technology, great build quality within the space of well-priced devices. And one of their latest devices, and I'll say right up front, um, it's the Xiaomi Note 12 Pro. It has one for me drawback, which makes it a little bit um, well, maybe not ideal for everybody, but it doesn't have 5G. But apart from that, um, the new this new device from, from the Xiaomi Redmi Note 12 Pro, to give it its full name, is pretty much too good to ignore. I mean, let's be, let's be really blunt about it. It is selling, and I'll, again, very important, right up front, it's around about 6,500 Rand retail, can look around, sometimes you can get slightly better prices, but it's six and a half thousand Rand in current the current day's Rand versus value chain. It is without question one of the nicest smartphones that I've played with in a long time. It is really well built. It ticks all the boxes in terms of technology. Um, it's got the uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon mid-range processor, which is an octa-core processor with two clusters. It's got a great um, GPU, which runs the video side of things. It comes with more than enough 
RAM, not exceptional amounts. I mean, the, the flagships can go up to 16, in fact, more. But this comes with 8 gig RAM. That's the operating system RAM. And you can get up to 256 gigs of storage for photos, apps, documents, whatever else, and videos and whatnot that you download on that. And that is extremely good quality performance at the core. Obviously, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and NFC and it's USB-C chargeable. Um, it's even got a, a headphone jack, which is a bit of a rarity these days with all the Bluetooth stuff. And a massive 5,000 milliamp hour battery with, with a really fast 67 watt charger. So this thing can charge extremely quickly. 6.6 inch screen, which seems to be sort of the mid-range upper end standard at good resolution. It's not the sharpest screen I've played with, but it's certainly not, nothing to worry about. Certainly, um, Samsung's A55 5G has better specs, but at a much higher price. So overall, if you're looking for... Oh, and I, I've got to mention the cameras. It's got a really, really good camera, a couple of cameras. You know, on the rear, two with two megapixel some sensors, one with eight, and then a massive 108 megapixel sensor, which is switch, which is you can turn it on or off. Reason being, if you want to take tons of like low-ish quality pictures that are great for, for mobile, great for Instagram, great for social media, and you want tons of them, the, the file size are quite small. But if you switch on the 108 megapixel camera, you're getting massive file sizes, and you might well run out of, uh, especially on the video side, you might well run out of uh, storage space. So a little bit of a hassle, uh, switching a camera on or switching a camera off, in my estimation, a little clunky. You may forget it ever had to, and then it just sits there and you don't use it. But anyway, playing with this this uh, camera, I must admit that it is not uh, Samsung S23. It's not an iPhone 13 or 12 for that matter. But it's very, very, very good and very close for the most part. Easy to use, focuses quickly, takes super clear pictures, Pretty good in dark light conditions, again, considering that this is not uh, a high-end device. So overall, excellent camera. So to wrap it all up very, very um, quickly and to sort of give a bit of a summary, there are cheap phones. There are a lot of cheap phones on the market, some of them from unknown manufacturers, very hard to justify. In the mid-range, there is competition. There's Nokia. There's Xiaomi. There's a couple of other brands I'm not going to mention now that make very good quality um, mid-range phones in the six to ten thousand rand. Absolutely, Samsung make a ton, but this one seems to have really been clever in coming up with a balance of cost versus quality. So the screen, not the sharpest, but very nice saturation, very good quality, small bezels. The cameras look the part, work extremely well. The processor never seems to back up. It comes through most of the apps you can download. Didn't put a ton, but I put quite a few, some of the bigger ones. And it gaming maybe not the ideal machine for, but certainly all casual stuff worked just fine. And um, good signal quality, easy to use, really a, a very good quality and, and polished performance for Six and a half thousand rand. I've seen it as low as six three um, on certain websites. So if you're looking for something that you really won't be uh, ashamed of putting out, putting on the table, and using on a day-to-day -day basis, 
have a look at the new Xiaomi. It's a great device at a really good price. It comes with everything you need and um, has good support. That's more than that. You can't really, you know, you can't really expect. On that note, we're going to have another quick break for our sponsors, and I'll be back with one last story, which irritates uh, by the same token. But um, you know, we've got to work through what we've got to work through. But uh, we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on one hundred one point nine High FM. Well, welcome back, and just to wrap up our show today, talking connectivity. There's been so much ups and downs around, as I say, power's been a big problem, fibers everywhere in South Africa, but without power, it's hard to run this stuff. But rural connectivity is still lagging considerably from connectivity within the, the sort of city urban space. And one of the sort of big names, back to our friends, <laughs> Elon Musk and the various crazy company comes up with. He might not be knocking it out of the park with uh, Twitter, but so many other things he's doing. Certainly, um, the Tesla cars and now his product or his his company called Starlink with connectivity, certainly doing amazing things for the world and for technology in general. Now, the sad thing about Starlink, essentially all Starlink is is, is a low satellite service which offers simple, quick, and easy connectivity to the Internet at speeds that are certainly competitive, up to 200, sometimes 300 megabits per second. Megabytes, I get muddled, but all you techies out there, correct me if I'm wrong. But certainly high-speed, fairly low-latency Internet that's available wherever you've got one of these dishes, anywhere in the world. You just point it at the relevant satellite in the sky, and there are lots of them, and you can have really good Internet no matter what you're doing and where you are. Well, uh, Starlink officially ran into South Africa and were told, and the communications minister, Mr. Mondi Gungumbela, said it would not be possible to allow Starlink to operate officially in the country unless it met the country's internet service provider, ISP, ownership equity rules, which simply means that 30% has got to be owned by previously disadvantaged groups, whatever they are. Now, Starlink is a global international company. Um, the potential for its growth in South Africa is there, but it's small. And in the context of a platform of this scale, global internet via satellite, we're talking maybe a couple of thousand, maybe 10,000 subscribers, maybe a bit more. It absolutely makes no sense for a company like this to engage with something like that. How could 30% of their ownership from a centrally managed owned company suddenly be awarded to South Africans. There's just apps or to any country in the world. It doesn't matter whether we're South Africa or not. So quite simply, I don't believe that uh, they will be coming to this country in any way, shape or form. There might be some workarounds with BE partners and whatnot, but quite honestly, the effort and the costs of running such a thing in a platform of this nature will probably make zero sense. So sadly, um, Starlink will not, in my estimation, they haven't said no, but my estimation is that under the current dispensation, the chances of Starlink coming to South Africa officially is pretty close to zero. But what you can do is you can buy it in Mozambique, you can buy it in Botswana, you can buy it in Namibia. And if you sign up there, 
unfortunately you've got to pay in foreign currency. And it's not it's not cheap, but it's not stupid expensive. We're talking about twelve hundred, thirteen hundred uh, rand, depending on the exchange rate for their latest system. With roaming in Africa, you can actually, and there are a number of people supplying the system. So if you're really keen, you've got a farm, you've got a rural area, and you are looking for something, there are ways around using Starlink in South Africa. But it will not be truly, truly um, available and supported. But again, you're dealing with a global provider. If you buy it through Mozambique, you definitely there's no support and service in Mozambique. It has to be shipped out to wherever they ship it out. So... Here's the, here's the sort of skinny on it. If you need satellite connectivity and you need fast satellite connectivity, be a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more, um, aware. Have a look at our surrounding African countries. You should be able to get that drop shipped somewhere and then deliver to South Africa for use in the territory as and when you need it. Because the performance from all the reports, I've not tried it, but the performance is excellent. Um, you can be assured, no matter what power is going on, you can probably run it off a small, teeny little generator and a couple of batteries, if needs be. And it absolutely gives you a, a tremendous uh, service that is completely unfettered by any um, nonsense within any territory and gives you great Internet. So check it out. Go and have a look at the Starlink sites in neighboring countries not going to get it here and see if that makes sense to you but it's a real pity i think it's a massive opportunity lost and who knows when sanity will prevail in this space in that regard i'm not holding my breath but on that note i'm being told to stop uh, sharing it because we are running out of time officially so till same place same time next week here on high fm with all the latest gizmos gadgets and and some interesting news regarding tech and what's going on in our world. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk on High FM.